Lord, it is as the people of God to come here corporately and worship you. We thank you that by the new birth we have been made holy people. By nature we are righteous. Father, we thank you that we can come boldly into your presence and declare your praises. Father, we thank you for the work that you have done in our lives this past week. We thank you for the testimonies of people within this body that have suffered uh, the loss of loved ones and how they have testified to God's goodness, your grace, and your provision. Lord, with that, we, uh, we lift up to you families in our church, uh, several families this morning who are grieving over the loss of loved ones. We pray, Father, that the Holy Spirit of God would comfort them and, Lord, um, renew their spirits once again. Father, we would pray for Jeff and others that are on this mission trip as they travel home to us today, we pray that you would bring them back to us safely. Then, Lord, we come to this period that we call the offering. It is an expression of our love, our obedience, our willingness to give back to you a portion of what you have given to us. Lord, we understand that all that we have, all that we are, comes from you. I pray, Father, that in the coming months, you would teach the people of grace more about giving. Finally, Father, we pray as we open the Word of God that the Word would pierce our hearts and change us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Read the first 15 verses, 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by His blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In this great mercy, or in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the, the time and circumstances and, uh, to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you 
when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as He who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. This morning, we're going to spend just a few minutes before we go to the sacrament, and we're going to look at two or three things in verses 13 through 15. I'm going to point out two or three things in those verses. Before we get there, to really understand these verses, what Peter's saying, we have to understand what the therefore means. You see it in verse 13? Peter says, therefore prepare your minds for actions. Is that, yeah, another way you could say it, in view of this, Peter says, prepare your minds for action. So let's look here at just a few things of introductory points this morning as we prepare to look at verses 13 through 15. First of all, <clears throat> based upon some comments that Peter makes in chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, and some other evidence in the New Testament, especially the book of Acts, it appears that the majority of the Christians to whom Peter now writes have been converted out of paganism rather than Judaism. These are Christians who have never professed a form of godliness that was so characteristic of the Jews, the ritual tradition of the Jews. So most of Peter's audience have never, uh, never professed any of this godliness. In fact, in verse uh, uh, chapter 4, verse 13, Peter describes their former lifestyle of these young believers as men and women who have been snatched from, actually it's chapter 4, verse 3, snatched from debauchery, from lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. Peter's message to these Christians, you have difficult days ahead. Not only will you face persecution from Rome, you're going to face false accusations from former pagan friends. Some, even family members, are going to turn against you because you have professed Jesus Christ. You may suffer socially. You may suffer physically. You will suffer financially because you have chosen to follow Christ. Now, Peter's message to these believers is the Christian life is a struggle. In fact, it's an uphill climb. And if you really want to experience joy, you see this in verse 13. We've already read it. Your joy, or the secret to joy, is to set your hope fully on the grace given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now, something else about these, uh, these people he's writing to. In verse 1, Peter identifies these Christians as strangers in the world. But he goes further. He surrounds this title with two qualifiers. First, in verse 1, notice that he calls them God's elect, strangers in the world. And then in verse 2, he identifies them as those who have been chosen to the foreknowledge of God. Now, something first about the foreknowledge of God. Gang, you do know that the foreknowledge of God means more than God simply knowing the future. He does know the future. He's willed it to be so. But the foreknowledge of God also includes God's special relationship with you and me before we were ever created. 
And this special relationship includes God's election and special plans for his people. See, it's no accident that on this spring Sunday morning, you and I are here studying 1 Peter. God has willed it to be so. Now, this thing about election, the goal of election, he identifies him as God's elect. Brothers and sisters, the purpose of election, the purpose of redemption is more than heaven. I mean, I, I believe in heaven. Heaven's a real place. Hell is a real place. But that's not the real purpose of election. Neither is the real purpose of election your happiness. I, I hope you're happy. I believe Peter teaches here that True happiness is a spinoff of righteous living. He said, uh, you're filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are now receiving the gold of your faith. The gold of redemption, this gold of election, is not heaven. It's not your happiness. The gold of this election that Peter refers to here this morning in our text, the gold of election is restoration. And therein, it's tied closely to this special relationship that God has with his people. He has restored us to himself, brought us into a special relationship. Well, let me give you another proof text. Paul teaches the, the Ephesians. You know this verse. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And so with that, we get a little bit of the picture of what Paul or Peter means when he comes to verse 13. He says, therefore, in view of this, he says, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now let me give you a literal translation of that phrase. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Literal translation. Gird up the loins of your mind. The idea is of a man gathering the folds of his garment, tucking them into his belt so he can move freely. It's the picture of a runner running a race or of a warrior preparing himself for battle so that he can move into combat uninhibited, unrestricted. Now here's what I want to point out here in verse 13. Peter says, prepare your minds for action. This is an imperative and whenever Scripture challenges us to grow spiritually, just about every case in the New Testament where we're challenged to grow spiritually, the Scripture always addresses the mind. Peter says here, prepare your minds for action. Jesus talked about the mind. One day the Pharisees came to Jesus. They were attempting to, to uh, trick him like the Sadducees had done previously. They came to Jesus and they said, Teacher, Tell us, what's the greatest commandment? Of all the commandments, what's the greatest? Remember what Jesus said, Matthew 22? The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Now, guys, the idea here is one of comprehensiveness. That is, we are to love God with all of our being. And yet, Jesus did list those three things distinctly, heart, soul, and mind. 
And when Jesus talks about the mind, he's talking about intellectual determination. Paul talked about the mind. Romans 8. In that sinful state, that pre-salvific state, Paul said, the sinful mind is hostile toward God. Then in Colossians chapter 3, Paul said, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Now, guys, I find it highly significant here that in the context, verse 13, 14, 15, in the context of one of the greatest passages dealing with the true call of the Christian, which is holy living, Peter addresses the mind. One of the greatest football strategists to ever live was a man by the name of Vince Lombardi. You football fans are very familiar with Lombardi's game. And the coaches that coached with him and players that played for Lombardi often said how he would take them, the team, back to the fundamentals of the game. He was a fanatic about um, offense and defense, the fundamentals of offense and defense. On one particular occasion, the Green Bay Packers lost to an inferior football team. And for Lombardi, that was a tragedy. It was bad enough to lose, but it was even worse to lose to an inferior squad. So the next morning, Lombardi called an early practice, gathered his team in the field house, all of his coaches were there, and he stood before his team he looked at them straight in the eyes, and he said, okay, this morning, it's back to basics. Now, I understand that Lombardi learned this from a, a peer that preceded him in the football, in football coaching. He said, gentlemen, this morning, it's back to basics. And with that, Lombardi held the football up in the air, and he said, gentlemen, this is a football. Now, how basic can you get? Here's a seasoned coach standing before seasoned players. Some of these guys have played for him for 15 years. They know offensive and defensive plays better than they know their own children's names. And he introduces them to a football. It's like saying, Maestro, here's a baton, or librarian, here's a book, or marine, here's a rifle. Now, why would a seasoned coach talk to professional athletes like that? Well, it worked. No other team, no other coach had led his team to three consecutive world championships. How did he do it? Lombardi operated on this very simple philosophy. He believed that excellence could best be achieved by focusing on the basics of the game. Did you get that? Lombardi believed that excellence could best be achieved by focusing on the basics of the game. And before Lombardi, Green Bay, Wisconsin was nothing more than a frozen whistle stop in the north. He put Green Bay, Wisconsin on the map. Now here's my point. Gang, what's true for football is true for the church. What applies to football applies to the Christian life. Now, here's my application. You know why some of you continue to struggle in the Christian life? You know why some of you continue to lose 
spiritual battles to an inferior foe because somewhere down the line you have forgotten the basics of the Christian life. You know why some of our families are suffering? You know why some of our families are not being led? Because somewhere down the line fathers have misplaced priorities. We have abandoned the basics of the Christian life. And I can tell you what they are. You know what they are? I can name four of them. Four fundamentals of the Christian life. You can find them in Acts chapter 2. They're no secret. Number one, the Word. Number two, fellowship. Number three, the breaking of bread. Number four, prayer. You can't get any more basic than that. You can find it in Acts 2. You can study it this afternoon. Now, the breaking of bread that Luke refers to in Acts 2, that's what we're going to do this morning as we gather around this table, this holy sacrament. That's the breaking of bread. And prayer. Um, thanks to the efforts of our, our newest staff member, Jeff Simon, we're learning more about prayer here at Grace Advance. Some of you have enlisted to become prayer warriors. We're learning about prayer. So let me just mention the first two because they play an important part in our text this morning. First of all, the Word. Gang, the Word of God is the primary source that God has left with us for the renewing of the mind. And the renewing of the mind is essential in the Christian life. I'm saying to you this morning that it's possible to think so much like Christ that our minds operate on a different plane than others around us. It's possible to become a Robert Richardson. We live out an entire life living differently. And when we're gone, people remember me. Remember us by the way that we have lived. Not only is renewal of the mind possible, it's essential for the Christian. Peter comes here in this context of holiness. Peter comes here and he says, to a group of new believers that have been snatched from sin, don't forget the basics. Prepare your minds for action. You know that passage in Romans 12, 1? I bet half the congregation, half of you this morning could uh, quote Romans 12, 1. You know what? I beseech you, therefore, brothers, Paul's words. Therefore, he says, I urge you. And that word urge, uh, it's, uh, the real punch of urge is lost in translation. It's as if Paul comes now to this point of his letter to the Roman Christians. And he falls on his knees and he says, I plead with you, brothers and sisters, Present your body. In view of God's mercy, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy, pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Then he says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind. There it is again. Now, can you quote verse 2 of Romans 12? Most of us can't because... That's how we memorize scriptures, and that's one of the dangers of memorizing a passage. We tend to forget the passages around it. Romans 12, 2 is just as important. Listen to this. He adds this warning. Don't, this is Philip's translation. I love this translation. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold, but let God remold your minds from within so that you may prove in practice that the plan of God for you is good. 
meets all his demands and moves toward the goal of maturity. Another one, another passage of Paul. Colossians chapter 4, verse 15. Paul says here, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's the word. It's a basic of the Christian life. The other one that I want to mention this morning is fellowship, and I just mentioned it briefly. This is one of those words that's lost its real meaning in translation, and actually, culturally, we don't think very highly of the word fellowship. In fact, we think of we hear the word fellowship, we think of apple pie, or eating around the table with other Christians, eating meals, and that's good. That's a great part of the Christian life, but it goes much more deeper than that. Gang, the basic meaning of fellowship in the New Testament is partnership, sharing. I'm saying this morning that the Bible does not envision the Christian life as one of living apart from other believers. Said another way, there's no such thing as individual Christianity. Now what that means for you this morning is you can attend this service every Sunday morning, sit in the same assigned seat, and never truly enter into a, a partnership in the body of Christ. Now, let me just give a plug here for one of our ministries. It fits right here. Guys, we have six core values here at Grace Event. You, you hear them all the time. Uh, one of those core values is, is the Word of God, a strong emphasis upon biblical truth. Another one is small groups. Again, we didn't go to some church growth book and just pull these things out of church growth and put together six things. They're thought through. If you look at our six core values, every one of them hits on one of these basics I've mentioned this morning. And the primary vehicle in this church for joining into partnership with other believers is the vehicle of the ministry of small groups. Currently, about 25% of you are involved in one of our small groups. Now, I'm, I'm coming to you, I'm pleading to you, I'm urging you you need to set that, make that a priority in your life. This summer, you're going to be receiving, everyone in this church that's not involved in a small group is going to be receiving a letter re-emphasizing the importance of the small group ministries. We're going to introduce you to the new small group leaders. Hopefully, by September, we'll start 8 to 10 new small groups. That means we need 150 people that are currently not in small groups to say, I want to join in partnership in a small group because it's a vital part of the Christian life. Partnership. The word, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Now look in, um, look at verse 14. I finish up here. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Quickly, guys, we are to be children of obedience. This is a Semitic expression describing not only nature, but quality. That is, we're not only considered obedient holy by the work of Christ, we're not only considered inwardly that we're holy, 
We are to exhibit the quality of obedience, which is manifested by righteous living. Then finally, look at verse 16. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Peter's citing Leviticus here, and he brings us to the point of holiness. Those called to be God's children are to be like him. One other passage. I want you to turn to this one. Look in Philippians chapter 4. And I close with this. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think. There's that emphasis again. Think about such things. And then Paul says, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. Do you hear what Paul, uh, Paul's saying here? He's saying, Whatever you've been taught, Whatever we have faithfully taught you is true and wholesome and worthy and good, think about those things, and then he goes further. Then he says, put them into practice. Live that kind of life. Hey, parent, how would you like to live such a life that when your kids grow up, you send them off to college or you marry your kids or whatever, they grow up and they leave the house? You can look them in the eye and say, hey, I've taught you. I've shared truth with you. I've faithfully taught you the Word of God. Now, go out and live like I lived. I've lived a life before you that has been an example. Go out and live it. You see, what you do speaks so loudly, they can't hear what you're saying sometimes. But just as he is who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Father, once again, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have left it to us as, again, the primary means of the renewal of our minds. I pray, Father, that as a result of the study of your word, that Christians would be encouraged to incorporate the basics back into their lives. That we would be men and women who are well prepared for action. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.